0: Lisandro hoped that his grandfather would be well cared for at his nursing home. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So when his grandfather began complaining about mistreatment from the people that were on staff there at the nursing home, Lisandro and his family decided they would install their own ring security camera in the grandfather's room. You can imagine what happened soon after that, right? Later on, he had to be checked into a hospital because the staff claimed he fell out of bed. And his, until his family went back over the, the footage, and I'll just say that, to put it mildly, they were not gentle to this gentleman. He had fallen to the floor and the way they treated him when they put him back in the bed. It was clear that they were not following the proper procedures, not showing any kind of bedside manner. And so the family reports the innocent, uh, and this just happened this past week. So the two workers who were involved were fired, and now they're, being, they're pressing charges uh, because of this abuse of the elderly it's a sad story unfortunately it's not uncommon right we've heard other stories like this and it's a tragedy anytime someone who's responsible for someone under their care when that person becomes negligent or they become power hungry or twisted or corrupt anytime a person has responsibility but they weaponize it to benefit themselves instead of the people under their care it's always a tragedy It's a tragedy when a caretaker stops caring. Whether they're, in this case, a nursing home worker, whether they're a politician, a teacher, a parent, a nurse, a child responsible to feed the family goldfish, everybody has a level of responsibility. Whatever we know of someone who fails to do that, that's a a tragedy. And so we, we react against that. But on the other hand, imagine a world without those people. Imagine a world without people taking care of the elderly, without teachers, without political leaders, without children feeding the goldfish. Poor goldfish. We recognize in God's wisdom that that he's designed us to live interdependently as a society, and we need other people around us. We need the support services that people offer. And so I'm going to apply that more to a local church context Uh, On the one hand, we hear stories and perhaps we've even experienced personally times of poor pastoral leadership, and we react against that, right? A pastor with a proud heart who dominates the church like they're a dictator. Maybe a pastor with a lustful heart who just ventures into a moral sin and tries to cover it up. Maybe you have a pastor with an inflated ego who presents himself as a celebrity and everybody should love me and admire me instead of portraying himself as a humble shepherd. Maybe it's a pastor with a weak spine who tells everybody just what they want to hear, and he never challenges them with the truth. There is such a thing as pastoral malpractice. And yet, on the other hand, we know that we need pastors, right? I can't imagine a world without any kind of leadership or any kind of direction, We know God speaks to us, but we also need pastors as well. We need pastors to help us understand the scriptures and then to give us the tools so we can study the scriptures for ourselves. And we do need pastors to give us counsel and wise advice when we really need it. We need pastors who will herald God's word, preach, thus says the Lord with confidence, and then sometimes they'll even confront us when we need it. They'll summon us to change. We need pastors who will model godliness and Christ-like character and heartfelt worship to set an example for us to follow. So you see that dilemma that we face even as a church, and we'll kind of focus in on a church context then. And we recognize the wisdom of God because God is the ultimate shepherd. We've, we've celebrated that. We've worshiped God for that today. In his wisdom, God has given pastors to lead his people And also in his wisdom, God has given very clear directives to guide those pastors. We thank God for both of those things. And so we're giving attention this week to this this next focus in our series of a focused church. What does it mean to be a Bible-driven church? And These themes come out of many hours of study and looking at the scriptures, and that's what we'll do here in Acts 20. This afternoon, we've given attention to several themes already The idea that that a Bible-driven church glorifies God, our mission is to really exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and preach him to everyone around us. Among those key ways of doing that is by praying always. What a challenge that was to hear just recently. And to use scripture. And that's the tool, the sword of the spirit that God intends to use to build us. And now we'll focus on this idea of God's appointed leaders shepherding Leadership, the way they do it. And the process it is. I'll make one more observation before we jump in. You're like, wow, it's, that's all, it's like pastor, pastor. And it's pastor appreciation week. I did not know that. Someone texted me yesterday. Happy pastor, Pre-. there you go. It's This is clearly the Lord providentially making this happen for us. You may say, well, I'm not a pastor. So is Pastor Andrew gonna preach to Pastor Tim? <laughs> and everybody else just listens in? Well, not quite. I'll suggest that this is for all of us, right? This passage Paul is is speaking to church leaders, and they, and we've, this has been brought up in the class earlier this morning, but the, this role is one of a, an elder he calls these elders, these men who are who are responsible to, to lead the church at the same time they're also he 's also telling them to shepherd or pastor the church uh, because God has appointed them as overseers and you see these different synonymous terms for this position of someone. Who's helping to lead the church? Uh, But in another sense, it applies to all of us because all of us have levels of spiritual responsibility. God has given you people that you are responsible to care for. And so the principles that apply to pastors in this passage very much apply to us as well. If you have a level of spiritual responsibility, you need this, right? If you are a parent responsible to raise children or perhaps to raise grandchildren, and pouring to them spiritually, you need this. If you're part of a grace group, our small group's here, and you you interact intentionally with other brothers and sisters, you need this. If you have neighbors and coworkers, you need this. If you're gifted by the Spirit to serve, you need this. If you are a believer, you need this. If you're here and you're listening and you're breathing, you need this. And so what we're gonna hear from Paul and from God himself is really what is good for all of us. We're going to see three different sets of, of warnings that, that Paul gives. I'm kind of laying out the whole passage in front of you. Um, you're going to see these common themes. He, he begins each section with this idea, what we know. We know something. I know, he says twice. And then the third section, he says, and you know this as well. But beyond what we know, he's going to remind them of a warning, a threat that he's going to give them. And with a threat, he's going to give them some counsel. Listen, here's your job. This is what God has called you to do in this situation. And then he encourages them because he's going to remind them of what he himself has done. Here's my example, and Paul is the first to admit that he is not perfect in any way. But at the same time, it is helpful that we can learn from his example and follow him as he follows Christ. But what's most exciting is that Paul points us to the truth of God, and that's what we really need, right? We, we, we don't ultimately need humans to tell us what to do. We have a lot of that already. We need humans to tell us what God has said We want to hear from God, right? We want God to be the shepherd, the chief shepherd. And we want help and assistance in understanding what he is directing us to do. And so what we'll find is most encouraging in each section is what the truth of God is. So that's the theme that we'll be going into. This first idea then, this first warning that Paul is giving to these these leaders in Ephesus, we'll just summarize it this way. He's telling them, beware of fear. Because there's this threat. And so you see the blanks there. They're underlined. You can, you can follow along in and, and the worship guide, page 7. He's telling them there is this threat. Here's this reality. Guys, I know something. Behold, pay attention. Here's what's going to happen. I know that all of you, all of you guys, and he's looking at men that he spent years pouring into, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, all of you will no longer see my face. This is the last time I'm ever going to see you again. That's the beginning of his phrase. And he's already mentioned earlier in the passage, verse 22, he knows he's headed to Jerusalem, but he doesn't know what's going to wait for him. He doesn't know if he's going to die there. He doesn't know if he's going to be arrested. But what he does know is this. This is the last time he's going to see them in person. That's powerful because of the close relationship. And so if, if he is, this is the last time he's going to see them, then from now on, if there's a decision to be made at that local church in Ephesus, Whoever is preaching, it's not Paul. Whoever is making the decisions and giving the counsel, Paul's not going to be on the scene anymore. And you can imagine in their minds, that's, that's a little unnerving for them. You can imagine someone who is a little nervous about learning to drive. Often in the city, we, we don't always jump to drive right away. We wait a little bit longer. And maybe you can remember the first time you began learning to drive, you have the permit, the expert, maybe you're like watching the expert drive, and then the expert jumped and shotgun, and you're driving and you're just checking with them, and you're extra nervous, how did you feel the first time that person wasn't there? And you're driving by yourself in the car. Some of it's exciting. Some of us, I'm, I have to pull onto this highway right now at rush hour with everybody honking behind me and pushing me to go. It's really unnerving. We don't like driving by ourselves, right? Another situation like this is when, uh, when my oldest, Hudson, was born. Uh, Becky's mom was with us for the first few weeks, but I still remember the, the night that she left. And we have this little newborn here and and it's been easy because she's been there and there was one point he was crying because he had to be burped just the right way and she knew how to hold him. And finally he burped and stopped crying after an hour or so. But then she left. And I know Becky was more prepared than I was. She wasn't as nervous as I was, but I thought, I have to keep this guy alive? Like, this is up to me? I can't say, here, you take him. There's no one to give him to. There's a level of nervousness about that. I imagine that's what these men are feeling, this threat that Paul is leaving. But he gives them this counsel and this calling. He says them very simply "Is this, their their goal is to guard or to shepherd the flock. What is the calling that God has given them? He tells them, be on guard, watch yourselves, watch this flock. More specifically, he tells them to shepherd the church of God. And we've already spent time in the service talking about what it looks like to shepherd a flock, right? It involves protecting it. We'll get more attention to protection in our second point. But it also means feeding the flock, giving the flock what they need. The shepherd knows where, where is their good grass, where is their nutrition. Let's bring the flock here. No, 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 this way, guys. No, this way. Let me give you something really helpful to, to, to feed on. And so he's giving them this direction. In John chapter 21 Our Lord is talking to Peter, kind of restoring him after Peter had denied him. You remember three times he asked Peter a question. What was the question? Do you love me, right? And Peter's response is, well, yeah, as much as I can, you know. And and it's not quite, you can tell he's just still growing again in his confidence in God. But at the end, the Lord says, two out of three times, feed my sheep. Give them food. The third time, shepherd my sheep. Peter You're the shepherd, you're going to be responsible to lead, feed my sheep. And so there's a picture there of feeding these sheep, giving them what they need, uh, taking care of them, providing for them. And so this challenge for these men is, I'm not going to be on the scene, it's up to you. So here's your command, make sure everybody gets what they need. Feed them the grass they need. Parenting analogy, give them the veggies, even the ones they don't like. You may have to cook it a special way, but they need this. And he really points to himself and his own example because he says, verse 26, I testify to you this day. What an amazing claim he can make, right? I am innocent of the blood of all men, everybody who knows me. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He says in his mind, his hands are innocent. There is no blood on his hands. And if someone has met Paul and they've rejected his message, they can't blame him for it. He did his part of explaining the message to them. No one can sue Paul for pastoral malpractice. He did his job. And you can contrast that. Think back to Pilate. Remember, he condemns Jesus and he starts washing his hands. Very elaborate display claiming that I'm innocent of this man's blood. I know something is going to happen that should not happen, but it's not my fault. It's your fault. Paul is saying, I don't have to wash my hands. There's nothing nothing coming that I'm going to regret. I'm sorry, I keep bumping this space bar over here. Um, He says, I am innocent. Why is that? Well, because I had a job, and my job, Paul says, was to declare to you something. In fact, I declared to you the whole purpose of God, everything God had to say. If you're looking at your scriptures, I'm going to point you back to verse 20 because Paul says something very similar. Verse 20 of Acts chapter 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything you needed. If I knew you needed it, I was willing to tell it to you. Verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what my message was? At the end of my message, the, the appeal was you need to repent and trust in Christ. He was willing to call people and summon them to repent and to trust in Christ. And he didn't shrink back from that. I can imagine there were times where if you were to tell this person, you know what, you are wrong before God and you must repent. That's not going to be easy to say. They may be offended. They may flare up and and, and not like me. And Paul knows that these next generation of leadership will find themselves in positions where it will be difficult for them. They're going to want to shrink back. Let me just give you the happy stuff. Let me not give you the challenging stuff, the fear of God that must be a part of the message of God. He did not hesitate. He was able to give the full, complete explanation, this whole council of God. What an amazing example, but the most amazing thing of all is not just the example of Paul, but it's the truth that he points them to. Why can they do this? Why can they fulfill this calling to, to shepherd this flock and to beware of fear? Because he tells them, among this flock, the Holy Spirit himself has made you overseers. And this is astounding for Paul. He's claiming that these these people in position of leadership are, are not there just because Paul liked their personality or because they had a dynamic of leadership. God himself was putting them in that position. God himself had made them, had put them in that position as leaders. There's a human side of this in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That, that one verse really summarizes this entire uh, section of, of Paul's challenge. But you notice, in one sense, there's a human side of this. Humans say, you know what? I think God has identified you to be one of the leaders of this next one of the next leaders of this church. Once Paul's off the scene, he knows who he can point to. And he prays for them with fasting. And he commends them to the Lord because the Lord doesn't leave. That's one of the most encouraging things of all. When Paul leaves, Christ doesn't leave. And so because of that, the Christ who has made them overseers is still right there with him. And so he can assure them your position is essential. Listen, you're right where you need to be. That can apply to pastors. That can apply to parents. You know, God gave you as a parent just the kids you have with just the personality and the temperament that they have. And that can really encourage your heart. You know, God gave you the neighbors you have on purpose. Isn't that terrible? Even the loud ones. I can say that because my family is usually the loud ones. But God has given you the people that you live next to and work next to on purpose. You're looking for work? Let's pray that God puts you in just the right job. And just, not just so you can get the income, but so that you can start rubbing shoulders with just the right people. Because God providentially puts us in positions where we realize God wants me here talking to this person now. How encouraging is that for us? God is going to give me the grace to do this. And besides just the fact that my position is essential, when look at the way He describes this church, we're supposed to shepherd this church of God. And we're coming back to the church context. As God's people, we are amazingly valuable to Him. He has purchased us. With his own blood. The body of Christ, the church of Christ, yes, universal, but I'm just going to think about Grace Baptist Church right here. The brothers and sisters that you see, that you're sitting next to, each one of us has been purchased with the blood of Christ. You know how valuable you are to God? How expensive is the blood of Jesus? And I say that we, we, in tongue-in-cheek, we can't put a price on it. In fact, Peter makes that same point over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You were you purchased, you were bought out of this old way of living, and God has changed you. You know what God paid for you? Not just silver or gold. That's too cheap for us, for what God has to pay. Now, he's going to use to pay for us the precious, the valuable blood of Christ. a Perfect blood. A perfect substitute. God himself becomes human and lives among frustrating, sinful people. And he is accused unjustly and he dies a criminal's death. You know why? Because the plan of God was to purchase you and me with that blood. And it's astounding how valuable we are to God of heaven. And not just us, but the people that he has sent us to. The people that we are entrusted with. Those people are valuable. And so as Paul is talking to these church leaders, he's telling them, listen, God has put you here. Don't mess it up. <laughs> because they're, they are valuable. Right? Um, we are expecting a little girl in February, and I can imagine that I'm going to have that dad talk with whoever would show interest in her. Listen, this little girl, don't you dare. And, and we'll have a conversation like that. Right? Um, another scenario, um, this is a really nice car. It is a Polaris Slingshot. It looks, I actually thought it would be more expensive, but it only costs, how much do you think this costs? Any ideas? How many thousand? 20? 30? I thought it would be like 50, 60 or something. Only 30, only, right? Only 30,000. A couple of these wander around Kew Gardens and they actually park on the side of the road, like right next to the really busy intersections, and I keep thinking, what are you doing? You're just inviting people to come sabotage your car, and they do it on purpose to show off, and they have an Instagram tag and all this, but I'm like, that's really dangerous, right? Imagine if the guy who owns this, imagine if his, his son's like, hey, Dad, can I take the car for a spin? Can you, you can uh, imagine that, that, that kind of conversation. Now uh, listen, I paid $30,000 for this. Don't scratch it. And a lot of scenarios play out, right? This is God speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Listen, you see this church? I bought them with my blood. They are so valuable to me. They are so precious. Don't you dare hurt them. Don't you dare stop taking care. You feed them what they need. If I come back and they're malnourished, that's on you. That's serious responsibility. But Paul reassures us that we can do this. We don't have to shrink back from whatever positions that God has given to us. And so he tells us, beware of fear. A second warning for them is not only beware of fear, but he also tells them beware of pride. He continues on in verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse, twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He tells them in the main, uh, sorry, we'll come, come back to that next idea in a moment, but he's telling them, he's warning them about this threat of what is coming. I'm not going to be here, and instead of me coming, you're going to have a wolf in sheep's clothing. Once I leave, here's what you can expect to show up. A wolf coming in. And this wolf will come in among you. And you'll notice, maybe you can look at your text in front of you, how does he describe these wolves? What word does he use to describe the wolves? Maybe savage wolves, fierce wolves. I, I, I didn't want to pick a, a picture that would show us the after results of a wolf visiting a sheep. But it's carnage. It's horrific. When, when a wolf comes to visit sheep, they don't just talk. In this case, he says they come not sparing the flock. Not going not to let anybody get away safely. They come in to destroy, right? John 10, 10. Our Lord warns about that. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. So Paul is telling them, you need to watch this flock. Be careful. Don't let it get to your head. You need to stay focused. You have a mission. There are people on the outside trying to come in who will destroy the flock. And so they are called to really be careful. But not only that, he also warns them about about from within Threats even from within. He says, from among yourselves. Some of you, when he's talking to men, he's poured into, he says, some of you will be tempted. Instead of people coming in, you're going to come up. You're going to start sticking your head above everybody else. And you want to start getting a following for yourself. And you're going to try to draw people away towards your own unique personality. Your own skill set. Your own giftings. And you can remember from the account, Pastor Tim walked us through this account in Ephesus in Acts 19 as an introduction to the armor of God in Ephesians 6. But remember, some of these believers, their backgrounds are fascinating. Some of these men likely had first met Apollos, and he explained to them the baptism of John the Baptist, but not the full message of Christ. And so they had already been used to learning something, but not everything, until they, they round out their understanding of doctrine. Others are former magicians. Remember, this is the place where they had burned millions of dollars worth of books of magic and incantations. And some of these maybe had heard about the, uh, the sons of Sceva, the Jewish high priest, who tried to cast out a demon just like Paul did because they wanted the notoriety. And so he's warning them about this. So he's warning them about speaking perverse things. After he leaves them, he writes letters, I'm sorry, he writes letters in Ephesians, and then First and Second Timothy, in Revelation, there's a letter addressed to this church, and here's what's going to come up later on. He warns Timothy in the future, there are some people in your church who are, or are twisting God's moral law, and they're making it a sense in which you have to follow the law just to impress God, and you have to become one of God's people by following his laws, and they twist the purpose of the law. Other people obsess about dietary things. They say marriage, no, no, no marrying, no marrying allowed, no good food. Limit yourself. Be ascetic. Not aesthetic, but ascetic. Limit yourself. Live a disciplined life. No fun allowed whatsoever. Later in First Timothy, Paul warns about people who love money. And they think money is the sign of God's blessing. And if you want to be blessed by God, then you can expect a wonderful addition to your bank account. Because that is the ultimate blessing from God. And Paul warns in 1 Timothy 6, that's not the case. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And he gives directions to those who in God's providence are rich in this world, how they should look at and view their own money. And later in Revelation, he warns about this group of people called the Nicolaitans. And in that point, he actually praises the church at Ephesus. They did a good job here because they fought against this false teaching, which was trying to import immorality and greed into the church. And so he's warning about these people from within, but a lot of times it's, it's, a, it's the goal, as he says uh, back in verse twenty in verse 30 excuse me because they want to draw away the disciples after them there's a danger that these men can have and so the counsel is this be alert oh watch for danger watch yourselves look in the mirror and examine yourself just as much as you examine the flock be on guard he points them to his own example then. What's his example? Well, because you need to remember something. Remember my own pattern. Well, what did you do, Paul? Well, night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease. Wow. Three years, night and day, he is on one mission, and that is to make sure he is caring for the people in that church at Ephesus. Maybe warning them, you know, brother, that sounds a little fishy, That sounds like you're trying to impress God, or that sounds like you're just taking God's grace for granted. Oh, be careful here. And he's talking to them, encouraging them forward. Hey, be careful, that's false teaching. That doesn't matter. Well, What about this passage? And he's interacting, and it's not always in-your-face confrontation. But he was willing to do that. And he was urgent in the way he did that. He's admonishing them with tears. And so he's reminding these men of of his constant... uh, efforts to try to connect with them. I'm going back to chapter 20, the beginning of this passage, verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18. You know from the first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. And he goes on what we read a moment ago. I didn't shrink from declaring to you whatever was profitable. Paul was on a mission. He was not about his own kingdom. He was about the kingdom of God. And he's warning these men of the same because, here's the wonderful truth, because God's word will build them up. He says now in verse 30, verse 32, excuse me, now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace. Because here's what God's word will do. It will, is able to build you up. And we'll just pause there. God's word can build us up. He is not abandoning his people in Ephesus. When Paul leaves, the Lord is still the shepherd there, and he still has his word right there. And that's what they need to be strong in their faith and to recognize false teaching, to recognize inflatable um, kind of momentums and movements that they are tempted to follow. Listen, you stay close to the word of God. Let it be rich, let it dwell on you richly, he tells the Colossians. And this word of God is also able to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. When I pay close attention to the word of God, I read about this inheritance. He describes it in much greater detail in Ephesians 1, the letter to this church at Ephesus later on. There is an inheritance waiting for them in the future. And it's among everybody who has been sanctified and set apart to Jesus Christ. Everybody who looks like Jesus Christ. And I imagine in Paul's mind, he's looking ahead to the very end. Guys, listen you stay close to the word, you're going to be able to get to that inheritance. You're going to finish the job. Everybody in your flock, they've, they've arrived safely at their destination. This is what God's word can do. It can preserve you. It can ensure that your faith is strong and that you're recognizing sin. And God, through his spirit, will bring that conviction that we need to hear. And so he's encouraging these men, listen, you have a much greater mission, a much greater calling than just filling the time and just building up a personal uh, reputation, getting a following. And their goal is to see God's people preserved and built up until they're in the very presence of God. And so you think about the, the family that God has given you and the, and the people that God has called you to serve where you are right now. God has given you a word that can build them up. You have the equipment you need. You have the scripture you need to encourage these people towards Christ. And as you consistently follow God's call, and you're using the word and verses, and something as simple as, listen, um, I, I, we need to start reading the Bible every night before we go to bed. Or in some way, hey, you know what, that reminds me, you're talking with your neighbor, that reminds me of this proverb. Hey, this reminds me of what I read the other day. And we just, it just comes up in conversation, and the more the word shows up in our conversation, the more God uses it to build others up. And in fact, that very word can ensure that we finish our mission well, and to be able to arrive at that point of an inheritance, among others who are sanctified. I'm looking at the clock. Time always flies. I was planning on the third point being the shortest, so don't be scared. Well, just look pretty briefly at this last point. He's going to warn them now about greed, and he's going to tell them what they know. You guys know something. You know something about me. You know that my hands have ministered. And he's going to encourage them because they're going to face this challenging reality, that ministry, the idea of pouring yourself out for other people, whether you're in a nursing home setting or in a classroom setting or in a a kitchen. It is draining. It is hard day after day after day to try to help other people who don't like our help and take it for granted and overlook us. And he says, listen, when you get to that point, you're committing to do God's work for God's kingdom, it's going to get very draining on you. Let me encourage you with this. And he gives them some counsel then. You know that the example I have set, and here's the, 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 clo- the clearest example of a command, a calling. By working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. It is necessary for us to help those who are weak. God has called us as leaders in a broad sense to serve and we know that's the opposite of what, of, of what a secular perspective of leadership is, right? Leadership is telling people what to do. I'm the boss. Your job is to do what I say, and my job is to watch, right? And that's, that's easy for that to happen. It's easy for us to develop that same mentality. Paul says my job as a leader is to serve and to make sure everyone is taken care of. And cared for. And so by working hard in this manner, your mission, your calling is to help weak people. Those who are in need of support, in need of stability. We already mentioned his example. He says in verse 33, I didn't do this because I wanted silver or gold or clothes. I ministered. Let's say someone walks into church. Wow, look at that silver or gold or clothes. I hope that they give me a Christmas present. That's not Paul's mentality when he's trying to help people. He's pouring into people, disregarding the benefits that he may receive. His motives are pure. And he used his own hands to minister to whose needs? His needs and the needs of everyone else on his traveling team. You look back earlier in chapter 20, verse 4, it lists one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight men, including Luke, would be nine other people in his traveling company. He took responsibility to make sure that the nine other people traveling him were taken care of as well when they were working in that city of Ephesus. And he showed them this example of working hard. We'll finish though by looking at this truth from God himself. He tells them to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And this is wonderful. You're worn out. Are you tired? Possibly, very likely. I think it's cold enough in here to keep us awake. We gotta look at that heat. We're worn out, we're frustrated, we're weary. Let me encourage you, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Remember what your Lord has said. Remember the words of our Lord. And not just the words that Paul quotes, but remember what our Lord has counseled us. Come to me, all who are weary and weighed down. I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go, make disciples. Brother Mookie reminded us of that. What is his promise at the end of that? And lo, behold, I am with you. How long? Always, to the end of the age, end of the world, end of everything. Our Lord is with us right now. He calls us to a position and responsibility of serving other people. It is good for us to remember his promises. And perhaps tonight I'm going to encourage you To finish up your Lord's Day time, what if you spent extra time with the Lord? Just reading through his encouragement in John 17. I'll just suggest that. John 17, a wonderful prayer for us, that God would help us. Remember the reassurance that our Lord gives, and specifically he references this idea from the Lord's teaching. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Our Lord said, you freely received, now freely give. And this is a pattern we see frequently, that our God is one who is able to promise a reward for us. Brother Mookie read in 1 Peter 5, where the, those who have responsibility to pastor the church at the end, they receive a crown. How cool is that? There is a, an account of a, a pastor, Carson, up in Canada, in the 70s and 80s, and he was in a pastor network where um, another in, another pastor had more influence than he did and really just gave him a really hard time and really just came at him and insulted him in many ways, and this Pastor Carson did not defend himself at all. He did not speak again. He not, just really was quiet, humble, and meek. And his son was in a college class learning about that whole saga of, of that, that church network. And his son came home and said, Dad, I never knew that this happened to you. Can you tell, why didn't you tell me? And his dad said, You know what? Uh, your mother and I made a promise, a, long, a vow, a long time ago that we would not speak poorly of that man in public. And we have kept our vow. Wow. The seminary professor explaining this story would go on and say this to Pastor Carson's son in the classroom, knowing he was there, but just in general, he said, one of the first things I do when I go to heaven, I'm going to go look at Pastor Carson's crown. Because he suffered in a quiet way. And he just gave and gave and served and was not doing it out of greed for himself or his own efforts. And so our Lord promises us that he does give us everything we need. I'll finish with a simple idea here. Sets of application for us. For you as a church family, let me encourage you to prioritize godly leadership. Please prioritize godly leadership. Um, Pastor Tim and I, we're not looking for cheerleaders, right? We're not saying, please tell us Happy Pastor Appreciation Week. And it wasn't intended that that Brother Mookie would mention this. But it is good that you pray for us. Let me say that. The best encouragement we need is not a pat on the back. It is prayer. That is what we need. We need you to pray for us. Desperately. If you do not pray for us, then we are not fully equipped to pray for you. Beyond that, what if, heaven forbid, but within the next decade, you have to move. (laughs) New York City, let me urge you, prioritize pastor leadership, godly leadership, and make sure that you pick influences who will really point you to Christ. Maybe you're looking ahead to marriage, you're thinking about those who will most closely influence you. Maybe even in political season, we want to prioritize godly leadership. But also, God has given you influence. Where is he calling you to serve without fear? Fear. Without pride, where you're just trying to survive the weak. And without greed, where you're doing it just to see what you can get out of it. And for those of us as pastors, this is good for us to be reminded that we must beware of fear. We must beware of pride. We must beware of greed. And yet at the same time, we're not abandoned by God because he's given us provisions through Christ. The Spirit has called People to lead churches. We skipped that verse earlier, but Ephesians 4, Christ gifts people with special gifts. And then he assigns those people all around his church, all over the world, and all of time and eternity. He plans for people with certain gifts be in certain churches at certain times. To help that church. Praise the Lord that he's given us what we need in Christ. And so as a church, we want to value this and encourage it. I'll encourage those of you as well. Perhaps you're thinking maybe God is calling you to be a pastor. Maybe you're a young man in high school. Maybe you're, well, the seven-year-olds are downstairs, aren't they? But maybe God, you've been working in a secular job for a long time, but you think, you know what? With the years that I have remaining, I believe God would want me to give myself to church leadership. Let's pray about it. Let's pursue God's calling. Let's see that God grows us in that way. It's one thing if a child forgets to feed the goldfish. Oh, I forgot to feed the goldfish. It's another thing if, if a mom forgets to feed her kids. Why is there a difference? Feeding the goldfish, feeding the kids. Well, the kids are more important. They're people, right? They're not just goldfish. Nothing against goldfish, but people are made in the image of God. We're more valuable than goldfish. Feeding a child and feeding a soul, what's more important? Oh, the soul. Calling not just to feed, and I'm not disregarding other responsibilities that people have, but the calling of spiritual leadership, of influence, is tremendously high. And it brings high accountability as well. And so it is something that, here at the end, I'll just acknowledge, God has convicted me of many things over this week. It has been good for God to preach this sermon to me this week. And it's been good for me to repent. And it's been good for me to see his grace to sustain me in continuing to pray and continuing to pastor as he would call me to. Let me encourage you to have these same goals for yourselves. So let's bow in prayer. Well, bow our heads. But we'll close our eyes here at the end of our, our, this time, listening to God's word. Let me really urge you to respond to God. In this sermon, God has spoken to you. His spirit has been here. The Lord Jesus presides over his church as the head of this church, as the chief shepherd. And so our good shepherd has prompted us in different ways during this sermon. It would be best for us to respond to him, to repent of sins that he's poked us about. And it is good for us to trust in Christ, to forgive us, to restore us, to change us even more. Let's take a moment of individual prayer, reflection, and then I'll pray for us and we'll finish up the service. thank you lord for speaking to us we thank you that you love us so much you love us as your people and you are jealous that we would be well taken care of and we're amazed at at your willingness to entrust the care of your your people your bride to humans human leaders are only human And sinful human leaders are still sinful humans. And so we recognize again, we need you to shepherd the shepherds and to shepherd the whole flock. Oh, Father, please continue to grow our love for your word, grow our devotion to you. Give us courage this week to speak when we need to speak. Give us wisdom to love others and not to love ourselves. Help us to continue building your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.